0: If you want to be a good mentor and a good coach and a good father, drink from the fire hose, choke yourself on life's experiences, go out and fucking find them. Like Eldridge says, you know, fight the wars, fight the battles, be the knight in shining armor right over the hill.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. There are almost as many ways to raise kids as there are strength programs. And as with training, everything works. It's just a matter of how well does it work. And that is the real question: How is your parenting programming working? Find out how to build a resilient human that kicks in life's closed doors today. Here it is episode 620.
0: Hey, Power nation: Summer is weeks away and you got to get that body right. Now, whether it's to pack on a little bit of muscle to fill out those pants and fill out that t-shirt or to lean out and show off those abs by popping off that shirt, we got you covered. Now, the reason we'd like to start busting our ass now is so that we have a little bit of margin of error so that you can cut loose and not feel guilty. So what I want you to do is go check out one of Power Athletes Nutrition Protocols. We got a leaning, we got a bulking, we got a keto, and we also have a performance protocol for those of you that need a little bit of extra attention or really trying to dial it in so that you look like a
1: million bucks come summer. To learn more, head to PowerAthleteHQ.com forward slash nutrition to find out which protocol is right for you. And we're going to give you an extra 20% off at checkout with the code EATTHEWEEK. 20%? Yeah, that's all caps. E-A-T-T-H-E-W-E-A-K at checkout. Dude, sounds good to me. Now you got your
0: mission. You know what we're expecting. Go get it. See you. Speaking of Father's Day, uh, I think you've invited me. I'm really proud to be a guest on Power Athlete Radio. and Thanks for inviting me for our Father's
1: Day edition of Power Athlete Radio. Friend of the podcast. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We used to do this a few times with Luke, and I thought it was always cool and an opportunity to bring it back. I recently picked up, again, one of your previous book recommendations for me back in 2017, Yeah, so here we are five years later. What's the diving uh, back in? What's the
0: release date on that? Because I'm I'm going with like 2001, 2003
1: area when I read it. It might even been 2000. For those of you listening and not watching on Spotify or YouTube, whoa, this is the Wild at Heart: Discovering the Secret of a Man's Soul by John Eldridge, Mm -hmm. and we are looking at 1993. Okay, yeah, so this
0: would have been. I would have been given this book around two thousand one, two thousand two, somewhere in there. Yeah, and Kevin Elko gave it to me actually, and uh it's got it. It's written with uh Christian undertones, overtones, however you want to do it, with a um, definitely an element of Christianity, but also really uh kind of an interesting reading. I'm uh, now that you pulled it out and I saw it sitting there, I realized we probably need to
1: reread it into this present climate that we see in twenty twenty two. Well, that's part of this. Man, so the, and ironically, or destinately, the section in which I read last night, where does masculinity come from? Mm -hmm. And that's what, like, dude, I know we scheduled this podcast. I had no plan, but then I read this. I got, now I have a plan. I got to bring this in. Uh, I thought the plan was just, uh, welcome me to the podcast.
0: Ask me one question. Let me rant for an hour and then click off. Isn't that our standard? No, I got three questions. Mm. God damn
1: it. I love you. So. What, where does masculinity come from? I'm going to read a passage from the book and then lead into the questions once, once we uh, pick this up and then put it down. So from John Eldridge here, in order to understand a wound, you must understand the central truth of a boy's journey to manhood. Masculinity is bestowed. A boy learns who he is and what he's got from a man or a company of men. The plan from the beginning of time was that his father would lay the foundation for a young boy's heart and pass on to him that essential knowledge and confidence in his strength. Dad would be the first man in his life and forever the most important man. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still as powerful a statement in 2022 as when I read it, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, it's pretty easy listening to that quote and actually remembering it. Um, you know, kind of being in this weird twilight of, um, you know, obviously being a son, but also being a father. So it's a really strange kind of like, and I know people would love this analogy because I've probably never given this version of the analogy. But uh, when we went to Japan and had those samurai swords made, um, the reason that the swords were so unique was it was the first time within the Fujiwara clan and their, you know, thousand plus year, um, you know, family business of creating, you know, swords for the Japanese, uh, you know, for the samurai and also for the royal family. Um, they had never had an instance where all three generations had worked on a single sword. So for these swords, because I think they made us wait so long, they decided to actually involve three generations of sword makers, or maybe it had never worked out. where You know, the grandfather was still alive and the other son and the father and everybody were still actively working. So for Rick and I swords, and I have the Katana and Rick's got the Wasashi, the shorter sword, the benching set. Um, they did this three-generation sword, and it was kind of a legendary deal. And even it's interesting is that you can find it on the internet where people are like, ooh, we heard that the Fujiwara clan is going to make a three-generation sword. So they made three. One's in a monastery in northern Japan. I have one, and Rick has one. But what was interesting was the reverence of meeting the grandfather, the father, and the son, and them talking about like each coming together based upon their own strength. So the grandfather did the engraving. um, The the youngest son did the hammering and the father did the polishing and the sharpening. And also I think the Haman, which is when they, they do it. So it has the flow. And then uh, they each like split, like the handle and this, and like they, they basically divided the sword into whatever their greatest strength was to create the, you know, these exceptional versions. So, um, That's an interesting, you know, metaphor for this where you're as a father, you have this like past and present. So you have like your your father and then you have obviously your son. And as a dad, you have to decide to either, you know, extend traditions or this is how I was raised. And I really like I I hate that cop out. You know, we're here. People be like, well, that's not how I was raised. Yeah, but times are different. Um, You know, when my dad went to school. Uh, you know, like they took the bus everywhere. Um, you know, he bought his first car for 50 bucks. I mean, you know, the perspective, I mean, a, a tank of gas was $5 or uh, five cents. I mean, so like the, the, uh, you know, the time and the excuse of that's not how I was raised doesn't apply. So, you know, uh, what's cool is, uh, my dad was super, uh, influential in my life as you guys have known, if you've ever listened to this podcast. So to have a lot of the, not only the messages, but really my dad was, uh, um, you know, teach by example. This is what I do. And we just learned a lot about work ethic and integrity and honesty and just doing what you say you're gonna do from my dad. And then you have, you know, obviously uh, you know, his set of influences influencing me. And then I have this entire other life to lead where I get to keep him abreast of everything that's going on. And he gives me his perspective. And there were certain things um that I think when I reached out to him to ask his opinion, He didn't have the perspective to give me the advice I needed because he hadn't lived that life. I mean, as a professional football player, unless he had played football and done that job, that's why I think a lot of kids, like let's say John Daniel Runyon, you know, has his dad, John Runyon, who, you know, my former teammate, now he plays in the NFL. Any question that he has about anything, you know, pertaining to that business, uh, you know, playing whatever, it's really easy to, hey, dad, like I'm going through this problem or have this or what do you think of on this? He's able to give him perspective because his dad's done that. You know, for me, uh, you know, I was doing something completely different than my brothers. You know, my other brother, criminal defense attorney, followed in steps and my dad. You know, they had a ton of relationship in terms of like things to talk about. But my dad was such an incredible mentor for my brother. So there were times where I made mistakes and I did things that were impetuous that when I asked my dad's opinion, I don't think he felt that he could guide me as it was needed. And um, there were only things after the fact where he's like, Yeah, I thought that was a bad decision, or you shouldn't have done this or this. And I was like, Well, where were you? And he's like, I didn't have the breadth of knowledge and I didn't have the arrogance to try to insert myself into it. Mm-hmm. So I think for my dad being really intelligent, he was, you know, I think intelligence is really interesting because we see it within this country, within this present climate. The dumbest people seem to have the biggest skill set and talk the loudest. Whereas the most intelligent people realize their limitations where they end and begin. And don't engage in it. Like you know, I mean, it's amazing to hear all the um, um, the dumbest people on social media are all um, you know constitutional uh, experts and you know um, historical you know uh, constitution you know uh, um, like you know like have a deep understanding of studying the constitution with history and this and you know understand I'm like first of all yeah and, and it, they don't I mean come on. Like the amount of constitutional historians that I've met, uh, there's a, you know, uh, I mean, it's few and far between. So um, th- it's an interesting thing. Uh, and I think what I've done is I've spent a life trying to create the most diverse existence possible and pick up the most amount of skill sets so that whether, um, you know, whatever comes at us, I can be the person you know, a, a guide for my children. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, having, you know, obviously, you know, gone to Berkeley, you know, done multiple different things, played in the NFL, been an entrepreneur started a business this I mean, you know, like the, uh, just trying to expand the catalog on who I am so that I become a better mentor, a better leader, and more importantly, be able to give my kids interesting and meaningful pointed advice when the pro, when the time arises, so I'll just give you an example. So jamie just got done doing basketball camp Uh, at basketball camp. Some kid uh, smacked her on the butt, told her she was hot. She's boy. Boy. And she was kind of shocked and didn't know what to do. And so she came home. I told her, I'm like, hey, here's the deal. If if somebody like says something to you, your words are way stronger than theirs. You have my uh, permission to defend yourself. If somebody puts their hands on you, now we get into a different thing. I don't want you to open hand slap him or punch him in the face. And Kate's like, what about a shot to the nuts? I'm like, I've been uh, had many people try to kick me in the groin on numerous occasions. It's very difficult because if you got a little bit of adductor, it's going to be a lot of glancing blows. you got to be very strategic in how you do it. So either open hand slap to the face or I want you to literally smash him as hard as you can in the face with an open hand. And so we, we worked on a little bit. Um, that boy didn't do anything to her, but he did it to another girl and he was saying some like inappropriate things. So I asked her what she did. She's like, if you did it to me, I was going to smash him. My friend didn't do anything. So I went and told the camp counselor and they're going to remove the boy. And I was like, yeah, here's the problem. If a kid at 10 years old is exhibiting these behaviors, like one, his parents need to know two, he's not been mentored to be a gentleman. Like there's an interesting way. And, uh, you know, especially having daughters, like I think women learn how men should treat them based upon how their father treats their mother. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, before we got married, we had a very interesting mutual discussion where I told her, I'm like, you know, uh, you know, passion, all the other things are all important. But at the end of the day, talking to my dad, and this was an interesting thing that my dad, piece that my dad gave me. um, So early on when he retired, or so my dad was a DA when he was a young lawyer, got out of the DA's department, he did some family law for a little, and he did some divorces. And he actually told me he got into the nasty murder one stuff and all that real high profile stuff, because it wasn't as ugly as dealing with family law and divorces. He's like, it's a lot easier to represent a dude's killed 10 people. than just to, to, you know, like at least there it's cut and dry and you can present the case and then this, but I mean, when you get into this divorce stuff, it's extremely dirty. And when I asked him like going through the divorce, was there anything universal that you saw? that allowed people to like continue to be married. Cause my parents were married for like 55 years. Like what was the element opposed from when you saw these nasty divorces? And he said, uh, looks fade. Um, after a while your wife doesn't think you're funny anymore. So humor fades. Um, you know, money goes up and down. He went through all these things. He said the only thing that he has ever found that allows a marriage to extend for a long period of time is mutual respect. So what he noticed in the divorces is when the end of the husband and the wife lost respect for each other, all of a sudden it ended and it got ugly. Even on the divorces where I still respect this person, we don't work anywhere. The divorce and the separation was extremely amicable. People paid the money, shook hands and went their separate way or they cohabitated with having children. You know, they were able to raise children, uh, you know, being separated. And he's like, when respect goes, that's when things just fall away. So. Uh, before I got married, my wife and I had a good conversation. We're like, you know, at the end of the day, I'll never do anything to disrespect you. Please don't ever talk to me in a way that's disrespectful. And I will always, you know, like I always support you. And like, we just had a really interesting thing. And the analogy I gave was respects a lot like a dinner plate. If you shatter it into a million pieces, you can maybe glue it back together, but you're going to see the cracks and you're going to see the missing pieces. And it's never going to be the same. So I want you to treat the relationship and the respect. I'll treat it like a, a China plate. So, uh, that little side bit, um, that's how my wife and I have been married for 10 plus years. And I think we have a solid relationship, um, based upon mutual respect and the kids see that they know, you know, how I treat their mother. Uh, they know how I treat them and that should be what they should expect from men. And part of the problem that I've explained to the girls is that the the way that the, the, the image that I'm providing for them is maybe not the image that will be taken forward, but it's the image they should always strive for. So, you know, you should think about all these different skills when you meet people and whether or not they, they compare. And at the end of the day, the only real example you're going to have for when you meet boys is how your father treated your mother and how I treated you guys. So that's how you should aim to be treated. So I think that's a really interesting piece uh, in terms of raising daughters is because, they're going to end
1: up with interactions with men and they have to be smart. Well, Uh, not only smart, and this leads me to my first question. They, they have to be confident. mm -hmm. So essentially a two parter here. And it's, it's almost like a raising a a girl's perspective and then raising a boy's perspective. The, I mean, handing off the confidence, showing Jamie how she should act in that moment, but then there's, I mean, giving her the confidence to execute. Yeah. So this is part one. So raising the girls to, not only teaching them what to do, but then how do you then raise them up to execute when the, the conflict or the challenge presents itself? Um, I think I
0: told you the story about uh, when I got in a fight, my mom came down and said, hey, you know, uh, if you're going to fight, you better win because if you lose, you can't come home. Um, I told my daughter a little bit different and I told her, I'm like, here's the deal. Um, I'm never going to be upset at you for defending yourself. If something happens and this is what goes down, I trust your judgment. You're not a bully. You're not an asshole kid. If somebody puts their hands on you or does something. I want you to fight like the third monkey. Hence the training program. We have third monkey and where the joke comes from. You got to fight like your third monkey and it just started raining. Uh, at which point when it ends, I want you to go get your phone. I want you to call your father, a.k.a. me, uh, and I want you to like call me on the phone or text me 911. I need you or whatever it is, and I will be wherever you are. Like if it takes 40 minutes, I'll be there in 10 because I'm the fucking wolf and I will show up and I will bring with me. Oh, Oh fucking unholy God. Hell of fucking fury down on those individuals and anybody else. Any other parent wants to show up, whether it's a fucking lawsuit, a fight, I don't give a shit what it is. We'll be fucking armed to the teeth. Um, and, uh, that is the support that they need to know at all times that, you know what? Like you are my biggest concern. I, I will back you 100% and then we'll figure out when the dust settles. And I tell them all the time, like I am, uh, you know, one of the ones I got from China Cho's dad, uh, Papa Cho, who's not with us anymore, rest in peace, who when I found out I was having twin daughters, I reached out to him and uh, we had some amazing conversations. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know if China and Freddie know, uh, maybe they do, uh, how much I talked to the, uh, her dad about this, but like, because China and her sisters were always strong girls and I liked how they were and like extremely confident and take on the world and didn't take shit from anybody. Mm -hmm. And he raised them that way, but also he raised them. And the big one he said is I want you to talk about them going to college. Uh, The idea that like when you get out in the world, this is what you're going to need to be that one day I won't be here and I got to prepare you for it. And um, so with my daughters, I tell them all the time, I'm so excited to see who you grow up to be. I'm so excited to see you guys to grow up into strong, confident, intelligent women. And it's going to be difficult to navigate. Life isn't easy. And you don't want it easy. But you need to be strong enough to be able to move through this. And you're going to meet friends. You're going to, you know, friends are going to become enemies. Enemies are going to become friends. Like, it's such an interesting world to navigate. But as long as you know that you have people on your team. One, your your mother is, uh, Kate's like superwoman for those kids. I mean, dude, she, like, like, her level of detail and execution and just the way she manages those kids. Like, in comparison to how I was raised, we were raised like stray dogs. (laughs) Like that's the only way I can describe it. And so I tell them, I'm like, you know, your mom, uh, like I've never seen anything like this, like the way she is, be very thankful. And when you get out in the real world on your own, you'll realize the support and the example that your mother has provided, but also the support that you have from us. But at the end of the day, with great responsibility is, you know, and um, support, there's great expectation for achievement. You guys are given every opportunity anything less than, you know, a home run. Like, I, you know, I don't mean to put expectation on you, but I think we're so in this thing of like, oh, don't expect me. Fuck that. You're given this opportunity. You're expected to do well. Like I got a scholarship to go to Cal. It wasn't, oh, it's fine. He got, he, he got to go to Berkeley. No, I was expected to get a degree. I was expected to be a good football player. Uh, and that expectation was important. With, were those pressures put on me by my parents? No, but I saw their example. These are the things they did. You know, Kate went to North Carolina, has her MBA, master's, you know, we went to Berkeley and did all this. I mean, you know, uh, if you look at, uh, her uncles, her aunts, um, you know, Eddie's a lawyer, Rob, you know, this, I mean, you know, my brother's kicking ass and doing his, uh, you know, insurance farm and like everybody's successful. I mean, you know, Luke, my nephew is pretty much like set the bar in terms of like academics i mean al my my niece super smart same deal uh so like everybody in her family has been a very high achiever for a long time so like that's where she comes from these are the expectations um you know uh, kelly the same thing i'm just using jamie as a focus um you know kelly's in an interesting deal because she rides horses and the horse moms and the horse girls and the dynamics of that are really interesting because she's used to having her sister And her mom. And then she's dealing with these
1: girls that are of different ages and act differently, right? Maybe put some emphasis on some drama or talking negatively about other people for conversation versus, you know, cool interactions that I've experienced at the dinner table with the family, you know, related to stories or uh, things going on activities. Yeah. So a different experience. I imagine. The the other
0: thing too, is um, there's definite like historical precedents for keeping your kids connected to your family so like there's a big one of like um you know like like uh especially when we went through all of the like historical stuff for you know Kelly's uh genealogy deal but like being able to tell you know talk to them about the family and like you know these were people that came before you and these are the hardships they, they had and i think we're so disconnected from our heritage so like being able to talk to the kids it was funny like we were watching the vikings thing and i'm like this is where you know our family's from denmark Like, this is where these people were coming from. Also, our family is from England. And, you know, so we were like watching this. And I think that like historical perspective and they're like, those people sailed on boats and killed people with axes. I'm like, that was what, yeah, by the, by the, you know, millions. And so like them talking about the hardship and like, dude, those people just had no future. They got on a boat and just sailed hoping to find something. So like now we're in a different times, but like, you know, that's still the ethos of humanity. And this is who we are at our basic. And, and I think understanding that, but also, um, the big thing too, on our, the non-negotiables for us is they have to read, uh, Jamie reads like, you know, feverishly, uh, Killy is really picked it up too. And, uh, the one thing that I will never bitch about buying is books. So if they want a book and they come over, um, I won't let them read on their computers. I don't want them to get a Kindle or read on their phones. They have to learn to read the love of moving pages. And so Kelly just wanted this like really interesting book set on like the Vietnam war. It was like 20, very books. interesting. Yeah. So I, I go through Alperus and I buy it used. And, and then what happens is when they read all the books, we box them back up and send, you know, and sell them on, on
1: Alperus again. Um, the, uh, I am a, a child of divorce. So the opportunity I had to connect with my dad was through sports and reading. So you get Tuesday nights and every other weekend it fucking sucks, but that's what you got so you spent the most so bookstore on Tuesday sporting events Astros games on the weekends monster trucks all the fun stuff but uh yeah through reading so then the expectation is I got a week I got a week to finish this book so I can have a conversation about it yeah then it was um you know uh, treasure island count of monte cristo so eventually leading to his favorites yeah which is cool
0: yeah no i mean read, reading the classics the reason they're the classics is they'll always be the classics. Um, you know, uh, it, it, like growing up is a weird dynamic in that my dad worked a ton, like 80 hours a week. So he would wake up like three or four in the morning, be out of the house by five or six because courts started at eight. And he might have to be downtown and this and then the office. And then he worked late because he, you know, was a lawyer and he traveled through all the courts. And uh, so really it was Saturday and Sunday when we get to see him. But then it was like 6 a.m. banging on the windows for us to wash all the cars. We washed every car every Saturday morning. And if we did a good job, he would probably take us to breakfast. If not, he didn't (laughs) feed us. But then there was like, you know, just a ton of work to to be done around our house. And we were, you know, the unpaid labor. So and then Sunday uh, we either get up for church. And if we didn't get up, we would uh, be admonished for the entire day about how God knows that we don't go to church and that nice Catholic guilt. But if we did good, you know. So it was just an interesting
1: dynamic. But for my kids, so, um, yeah, now, now for the cash side of things. So a little uh, different.
0: So the hard thing with cashy and this is like, I, uh, he is such a nice, sweet kid. Like I was kind of a little asshole, but I also grew up with two older brothers. Like I, like I didn't necessarily like, like, I don't remember, you know, my parents hugging me. Like, you know, like I don't, like I was always up to no good. There was always trouble. Like I was always trying to chase my brothers, like the most dangerous thing I could do. Like, let's get on the roof and jump off. You know, Like I
1: mean, dude, we were, so I got another, uh, quote here from wild at heart. Uh, and I related to this one. I wasn't mean, I wasn't evil. I was nice. And let me tell you, a hesitant man is the last thing in the world. A woman needs. She needs a lover and a warrior, not a really nice guy. (laughs) Uh,
0: I don't know. Well, one, I've never been accused of being a nice guy. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: I've been probably accused of being a good dude, uh, not a fucking asshole, but like, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, I'd have to ask a bunch of people, but like, I've had a lot of people be like, wow, I'm actually thoroughly surprised that, you know, I mean, but like, oh, he's a good guy. No, I was fucking never been a nice guy. So, but, uh, Keshi's a really sweet kid. Um, he was big on hugs. Uh, he, um, is just, uh, he's a a very good kid. And, um, uh, I, uh, maybe it's, it's not growing up with older brothers. I tell him all the time. I'm so sad, you know, I'm an older brother. Um, but you know, maybe sisters, whatever, but like, he's like, uh, like watching him out of camp, like he's real concerned with like helping all the kids and making sure everybody's doing fine. And he's just like a good kid. Whereas for me, I would have been like trying to kick people in the back and steal the ball from them. Like I would have been over there trying like just fucking causing mayhem. And uh he's just a good kid. And-
1: so a, a lesser uh a lesser man, I'll, I'll say that, a lesser man would see that as a bad thing and negative and try to push some no. some evil into that heart. No, um I think Well, you you know some parents that happen to also be coaches of you sports yeah. that yeah. you can imagine act the same way. Well, there's this idea that um You know, like, um,
0: I think, uh, how do I put this? Like, um, I think we've destroyed a lot of eggs and cracked a lot of eggs. And, uh, you know, under the idea that, you know, you're going to somehow have to make people into somebody they're not, I think what you do is you provide example, you provide opportunity, and you provide guidance, and you let people grow into who they are. It's probably a lot like a tree, right? You plant it, you feed it, you water it. You know, you prune it, you make sure that it's growing there. When the wind grows, if it falls over, you put a stake. I mean, you support it in such a way so that it can continue to grow and grow deep roots. And I think what happens for a lot of these parents is they're constantly digging it up, moving the tree, doing this. I mean, and, and and I think really what it does is it's not necessarily comes from a malicious standpoint. I just think a lot of parents, one, have, well, one, they don't train and lift weights. And I think we learned a lot of daily fucking uh, lessons that way. Um, the other one is, I don't know if they've ever really accomplished anything of magnitude. Um, you know, it, it, it's pretty interesting to talk to all these fathers talking about football and realizing that um, their football probably experience ended before high school even ended. And so they're imagining themselves 30 years in the past. And I'm like, dude, uh, I did this job. I mean, we can go to the Hall of Fame and I'll, I'll point all the guys on the that I got tick marks against. So it's a little bit different perspective for me. Um, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, constantly testing ourselves in different ways. So it's a, like a different level of confidence and I, you know, who knows if I'm right or wrong, uh, especially with, with my own son, but you know what, um, you got to provide him the opportunity. Um, and at the end of the day, he's, he's, and maybe, um, maybe boys are a little bit different than girls. Um, whereas, Cashy's maybe just the last kid and he's just extremely just, he's just a nice kid and he listens, you know, I mean, he's six years old. I mean, he, he, he's very just, uh, he's a nice kid. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. He's just, he's just a good kid. He's got a really good heart and he's not a fucking asshole. And, uh, I probably was a lot more of an asshole when I was six years old than he
1: was. So you've touched on this, but the second question I have, and this this is a big one based off some conversations where you Aiming to get the girls to try different sports, to try to find something that they enjoy. But this is a big thing: is is helping your your kiddos, son or not, find purpose. And to use a quote here, uh, from again from Wild and Heart is our theme. But don't ask yourself what the world needs; ask yourself what makes you come alive, because what the world needs are men who come alive. And this is this is a conversation I had with the the high school athletes that I'm coaching whether it's lacrosse or not. And like when they're talking about looking for schools and colleges, I'm like, well, like what, what passion, passion do you have right now? Man, it's so hard so to just do, to
0: help them. It's so hard to define at that age.
1: I, I know, um, but I, just, I want them thinking about it. I'm not expecting an answer, John. I just want them to think like, what gives you goosebumps at this moment?
0: It's so interesting how things play out. Um, and I think the, you know, the, that Greg Glassman threw me all those years ago, people fail at the margins of their experience. So that little piece that he said to me many, many years ago has forced me to increase my margin. So that's why I'm always fighting for more margin. I don't want to fail at the margins of my experience. So I'm going to increase my experiences so that my margin is really deep or really dense or really far. So I think, uh, the one thing that I don't fail at is I know my perception of school. Let's give you an example. Um, I didn't get straight A's, but, uh, I did well, but the amount of work that I did was zero. So I was extremely unmotivated and like nothing was exciting and passionate in school because of the way we were taught, actually my favorite class was ceramics. So I used to be able to go and throw pots and make all this stuff because it was creative and it was fun and it was ever changing. It was challenging and I was forced. So what I didn't like about school was that I felt like if there were 30 people in the class, the class was taught to the bottom third. The middle third was fine, kind of fine. And then the top people were just kind of like blowing bubbles. And so we would go into stuff. I'd sit down and uh, like it, it just, I never felt like I was outside my comfort zone. Everything was like, oh, it's easy. Now, I'll bang us out. My mom's like, yeah, homework. I'm like, I did it in class. You know, like it was just easy. And uh, because of that, because when I wasn't challenged, um it's not as if like today i'd be like well it's easy i'm going to fucking get a 100 on everything i just didn't you know eh, well it's easy uh, you know 80s fine 85 90 eh, i'm not going to do the extra work to 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 push it over the top because what's the difference training for football was different because like we were talking about with uh Colin O'Brady where his mom's like i want you to set a goal whatever i am more the type of person you suck you will never do this you'll never amount to shit that's the type of stuff that I hear like somebody like you won't do this or I'm better than you, or whatever. Fuck no. Like uh, that's like completely different. where his mom instilled him in this. Um, I was out there trying to prove a whole bunch of people who didn't believe in me wrong. Like I was just saw this deal. Uh, Jennifer Lopez accepted some lifetime achievement award for the MTV Music Awards or something. And she thanked her haters. She's like, thank you for all the people that never thought I could do this and were always against me. You are the reason that I was able to be successful. And I think for a lot of times that was me. And, uh, the- uh, you hate JLo. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not a JLo fan. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm a big fan. Especially uh, your Super Bowl halftime. Yeah. Jenny from around the block or whatever it is. I mean, I liked her when she was a fly girl on, uh, in living LA. color, in, um, in, in living color, which I don't know if you remember in living colors. No, when I'm Carrier. thinking of
1: Paula Abdul's Lakers, the first Lakers girl. Yeah.
0: But oh, I don't know if she was, a, she was the first, but she was one. So, um, so part of the training, uh, I really enjoyed like the aspect of like training, I really liked going out and imposing my will and playing football. The problem is all of a sudden I go to college and I, I got a ton of scholarship offers. I go to college and I was kind of a little fish out of water because you're not really a man. You're still kind of a kid this, and you're kind of trying to figure this stuff out in a freshman year. You're trying to figure this out, you know, like all of a sudden there's like a, you know, with girls around you're in this college environment here. Like, you know, I kind of sunk into this Berkeley thing and I, I kind of floated in that first year. And it wasn't until, like my sophomore year where everything kind of clicked and I knew what I wanted. And I, I'll tell you this. I mean, I didn't even know hundred percent what I wanted in school, but I knew that I liked it. I knew that when I showed up, it was extremely demanding. I had to do the work and it was competitive and therefore I wanted to do well at it. Uh, the football, same thing, like expected, you know, a lot was expected. So when I got to college, all of a sudden I was like, Oh shit, this is great. Like I wish high school was more like this. I would have been more, uh, like, more proficient, just more motivated if I had this level of competition. So when, um, when my kids, when we moved here, they went to public school. A lot of the same things that my kids were telling me were the same things that I experienced. Mm-hmm. Like Jamie's like, uh, it's not really very much fun. It's not very, it's kind of easy. Um, I was like, have you read anything? She's like, yeah, I'll like, uh, you know, as the teacher it's like, I'll get done with stuff and I'll pull out my book and I'll start reading because I get done so quick. And then the teacher yells at me for a reading and she's like, but it's taking kids 30, 40 minutes to do something. It's taking me five. So then I have to sit there. And so like a lot of the same things that I went through and a lot of the narrative that they said, um, and that's why we ended up going and finding a much chall- more challenging private school where I talked to them, like I want you to push these kids. Like they can do it. Like ask them to do more than you think they can and they'll meet the deal. Cause I, I know how I was. Mm-hmm. So now they've blossomed to the point where, you know, Jamie's going into fifth grade and they were trying to push her into seventh grade. So they're going to move her up, up a year and they want Kelly to move up a year. And I was like, just keep them in the same grade. And so they're like, but the work that they did is two years ahead of where they were. So, I mean, you know, now they've kind of closed the gap where they probably can't even go back to public school just because the stuff is so advanced, which at the end of the day is what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I want them to be challenged. I want them to feel like they're, you know, like the, the water's deep and they got to, and they got to tread hard. They can't just keep cutting down and pushing down with sports. Um, you know, sports was my vehicle to get to college and, you know, obviously my vehicle for success. It doesn't mean that it has to be my kid's vehicle. They right. can do other things. So I think a lot of times parents are like, well, this is what I did. This is what you need to do. But what I want them to do is I want them to gain, um, what's the term at Sornix? Physical culture, right? So I want them to understand like the theme of physical culture. And I want them to ingrain that into their daily routine the same way it is is for Kate and I and our family that like hard work working out, like whether it be, you know, cutting down logs, stacking this, doing all the stuff around here, it's training in the gym. Like there's, there's an element of hard work. That's part of who you are. There's a physical culture that you are a part of and that you're indoctrinated into. I mean, I was kind of thinking like, you know, if summer strong still continues, is there a point where the girls are like 16 or 17 and we take them to summer strong? Oh, I've,
1: I've met a lot of fathers and sons. So fathers that found us across the football seminar. And here we are five, six, seven years later. And then they're bringing their kids yeah. and introducing yeah. like, Hey, this is coach. And then that's, that's how they would know me from years ago. And now their sons are teenage age and, uh, you know, yeah, they, I mean, empower them. it's good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love for those girls to show up and pull a deadlift off of the, you know, for the deadlift party. So like that, mm-hmm. that type of physical culture and realizing that, there was a whole bunch of people that fit within this physical culture that might not necessarily be people that you're around, but this is your community; these are our friends. And um, what's wild is, uh, so, is 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 the amount of times that people have come over and they've met people, and then I have to explain to them who that person is later on. And I'm cool. like, I'm like, you know, that guy, like uh, Cal Dietz, comes over, right? And um, you know, I'll use Cal. I'm like, he's probably one of the smartest strength coaches I've ever met. Um, you know, think about, uh, you know, Craig Bueller or, you know, Tom Inkladon or, you know, Rudy Reyes or, uh, you know, Adam, uh, Nelson or Derek Woodsky or Bert Soren. I mean, uh, you know, any of the people, uh, you know, I'm just thinking some of the people that came over for dinner for the, for our symposium stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at, you know, gold medals and just, you know, Titans of industry and some amazing individuals and to tell the kids that some of the, the, the brightest and the best, you know, our, our, you know, our, our friends of ours. And we consider allies in this physical culture. So being an instill that, you know, like, uh, Kelly's good at riding. The reason she's good at writing is because she's good at gymnastics and she's dramatically stronger than all the other girls. Mm-hmm. She also works on her handstand, walks in her cartwheels, probably a hundred to 200 times a day. Like, uh, kids came over to swim yesterday. She was outside, um, practicing her hurdles cause we haven't got her to a track team yet, But and she works on her handstands and her cartwheels, like, Every free moment. And it just blows me away. One day when we were on the trip, I counted. She practiced a hundred times within a single day of, of like trying to get her handstand hold, working on her tumbling, working on her layouts. I mean, we're on the beach and all she's doing is running, you know, doing trying to work on her layouts. So uh, she's she got bit by the bug and Jamie's been up there training, um, you know, and cash six. So, I mean, people learn by example. They watch and they learn. Uh, and they see what's important and, you know, like, you know, Hey, we, you know, that's why I've always said, if you want your kids to be in good shape, you want your kids to be physical culture, put a gym in the garage. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was Greg Glassman's deal. Move your car out, put weights in there and let your kids come in and watch you train and watch you're in there dying. That'll teach them something.
1: Yeah. And in line with the, the, the Sornex idea, inviting all these people into your home and introducing them to your family and going back to what you said earlier about high school, where school academics necessarily wasn't challenging you found a way through sport to then get that challenge so similarly like the parents split so then leaned on my team sports athletics weightlifting, to then be the the company of men going back to our uh eldridge quote here to help essentially be that that model the figure we're working together towards something we are developing as young men so it was a company of men for me and then in college yeah. Like that. And, and you've met my good college buddies and they essentially like claim that they developed me as a man and then handed me off to you and Luke to continue to grow because what they received was I just the a word, shy little I think little what they man. said
0: is they nurtured you to manhood as yeah. I think was the direct quote. Uh, but, you know, the, um, uh, you know, things like Boy Scouts, things like Cub Scouts, I mean, all of these things are designed in such a way uh, to to help boys in this matur- uh, maturation process, um, you know, we did all that stuff, uh, and uh, you know, like, did it help me mature into a man? Not really, but you know, I remember the interactions I had with my dad. You know, I remember my dad showing up and us going to Indian guides, and you know, I mean, we always joked. I think our tribe, we blows. No, nah, we were the kickapoos, which I thought was the best one. I remember we picked name like we could pick any name. We're like, we want to be the kickapoos. We just want to kick poo around. <laughs> And uh, that was a real name, uh, but like that stuff was fun, um, you know, like uh, so for Father's Day coming up, uh, Kate has and Kelly have a, um, a horse show and then Jamie is going. She gets dropped off. She's doing a week long sleepaway camp for swim at UT. So I drop her off in the morning. Kate's doing that. and It's me and Cashy. I'm like, what do you want to do? He says the same thing every day. Go to high five. I'm like, no, we're going fishing. So sweet. Um, my buddy Amin's got a big property up in Kingsland and he has a huge uh, pond that he built and he stocked it. So it's the most fun place to fish because you just throw your hook in without even bait and the fish jump on you, reel them in, and they're monsters. So we're going to go up there and I'll take him fishing. And he's like, Dad, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to take you fishing uh, because some of my best memories growing up involved my brothers and my dad fishing to the point where, like, I've still told you this, like, when we finish this creek and I stock it, like, I'm going to put the uh, laptop out there and I'm going to fish on Fridays because uh, my best day not, or my worst day fishing is still better than any other day I've had. And the kids are like, we just watched the polls. I'm like, yes, this is better. Than, I mean, it's almost as good as like, catching fish is great. Fishing is great, too. So that fishing part was important. But um, other than, you know, like lifting weights, wrenching on cars, um, you know, uh, you know, eating pizza or, you know, drinking beer and, uh, you know, shooting guns, um, you know, killing something. Um, you know, fishing, um, you know, like driving fast. I mean, all the things I've enjoyed to do in my life. Uh, it's now, it's, it's also fun too for a son. Like this is another one I think about. Um, like, you know, uh, I think I've told the story on here before and I know I've told it to you. Um, I was living in Tampa. Ralph was my roommate and it was right before Lent. So it was in like, I want to say like February. And so Ralph hits me up. He's like, Hey, we got to go to confession. Because Lent's coming and we can't take communion, you know, kind of a deal. So we go. I hadn't been to confession in years. So Ralph goes in first. I go in next, and I had this feeling. I'm like, I'm going to be as honest as I can and tell all the priests everything bad I've done. I got a lot. So I go in there and I like, forgive me, Father. I've sinned extensively, <laughs> and he was like, and I was like, and he just put up his hand. He's like, I don't need to hear the blow the the dirty details. Are you sorry? And, uh, I was like, not really. I was like, you know, like, and then he asked, like, do you want absolution? And I was like, probably not. Cause I'm just going to go do it again. And, uh, he like, we kind of, he kind of chuckled and he's like, well, you know what? Like, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's only been one perfect person on the planet and that was Jesus. And he got an old deal. But, uh, he asked me, he goes, I want you to think about something when going forward. I want you to think about, be the type of person you want to bring into your life. So when you see like, you know, let's say you're out like hanging out with girls or this or this, and you look around for the people, are these the type of people that you want to bring into your life? Like, 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 is this the representation? Because there's a, you know, uh, the individuals and the people we're around are a great reflection of who you are. And if you find yourself, you know, maybe not in the best of situations, is it the situation or is that the reflection you're giving off? So I want you to think about that. And that was an extremely pivotal point in my life when I realized that, you know what, like, uh, the way that I was and the perception I was giving off, like that was a real deal. And if I wanted people to view me in a better way and I wanted to, you know, one day be a father and, and a husband and, you know, a business owner and actually have some credibility and a, a little bit of integrity, like that was the type of person I needed to be, not just, you know, running around with hair on fire, you know, trying to fucking slay every mountain I could. Um, and, that was a just a pivotal point where I realized like, fuck, I got to tighten my shit up. Like, like, uh, um, you know, and if I want to effectively surround myself with better people and be a better person, I got to start with myself. And, uh, that was extremely pivotal for me that moment going forward. And yeah, I mean that, so, so that one was good. But I mean, you know, if the guy had just been like, if I'd said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Give me absolution. Okay. You know, sudden uh, 27 Hail Marys and 27, know. he's going easy. <laughs> yeah. And a uh, hundred our fathers and uh, you know, call it, call it a day. And what's funny is he didn't even ask me to say Hail Marys or um, our fathers. He just was like, I want you to think about be the type of person you want to bring into your life, you know, and that might be a live, laugh, love quote, you know, you got on your wall, live, laugh, eat, love. Um, but. That was impactful for me. So as a father and as a husband, I think about it more often than I should. Am I the type of person that I, that I want to attract and what do I want for my kids? What kind of life do I want? What example, um, I want my daughters to grow up. And if the view of their father is to be like, wow, my dad was an absolute crazy person. Like the amount of stuff he handled and this, I mean, like he was intelligent, he could you know, he, he was all the things we hope for, you know, uh, you know, a, a scholar, you know, an orator, um, you know, uh, an athlete and all these other things. And he was, you know, a, a big, strong dude, larger than life. Um, you know, like the kids tell like, dude, people come from all over the world for my dad to test, them. you know, they think the block one is hilarious. I mean, but that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And the environment that they, you know, we've created, I want them to have this feeling like the, a bigger than life feeling so that when they go out and they meet people, that's the expectation that they have. And they don't settle for just, you know, the 12-year-old kid next door, Charlie Manson's, i into a relationship. I want them to have a bigger than life. I want them to have a big, big North Star. And I want them to feel that, uh, you know, that with, uh, you know, great opportunity, great expectation. And I want them to go out. And uh, I tell them this all the time. I'm like, I want you guys to go out and, you know, fight battles, you know, love lost, love won. I want you to experience everything. I want you to travel and see the world. I want you to see the you know, world or the sun come up on the wrong side of the world. I want you to have all these experiences. I want you to come home and tell me about them. I'd love to be there with you, but I'm not going to get to be there on all of them. As we were sitting there listening to Colin O'Brien or Brady, like think about the experience. I mean, to see the sun come up over Mount Everest and all of those adventures and to be out here and to be his parents and to have him come over and tell these stories and like a big part of you wishes that you were there in that moment with them, but then realizing that like, this is his quest to lead. And I'm just so proud to be part of it. And this is what my child's accomplished. And I'm so, you know, and I'm so glad, like I, I tell my son all the time, the only thing I want for you is to be your father's son. I mean, I've tried my entire life to just be my father's son and be a good dude and to be somebody that my dad was proud of. And uh, I think at the end of the day, if you can, if you can do that, I think you've, you've
1: hit the mark and you've done what's been expected of you. Mm-hmm. And final question or uh, tidbit or antidote and speaking of Ruiz, like this is, this is an excellent thing because I know y'all are such good friends. And then I've uh, had the opportunity to apprentice and consider him a mentor. How do you find that balance between self-reliance and, you know, fighting your own battles and then leaning into... A mentor and a guide, whether it's a father or a father figure.
0: Um, it's pretty interesting. I, I had a kind of a deep thought about the idea of mentorship recently. And, um, you know, there's this. There, there's a weird thing, right? And, and uh, I think it's very difficult to mentor your own kids. Like, I think as an adult, you, as a parent, you can provide the example Like, this is who I am. I think it requires other individuals, other men, other women to mentor your children in a little, you know, in a positive way. You know, I can think of like, um, um, you know, Kathy at the barn, right? So next door, um, you know, Kathy's told me for years, uh, I'm not teaching girls how to ride horses. I'm teaching them how to be young women. Uh, Hard work and this. And she's like, the lessons of life I teach from the back of a horse. And she's so good at it. Mm -hmm. She's like, Everybody's grandmother, and um, she's just a really amazing woman. And like, you know, I mean, she's over. I mean, just to be able to manage this, but like, honesty and truth and hard work and dude, just the example of how hard that woman works is brings a smile to my face. You know, most mornings when I'm up at seven, she's already out there riding because no, she teaches classes, she teaches privates, and people pay her to ride their horses to like break them in mm-hmm. and to get them ready. So I mean, she busts her ass, and um, that's a great example. And, you know, there's a lot of things that pop up at the barn and Kate's constantly like Kate personally trains Kathy and because she, you know, not only do they trade out, but Kathy, she, it's good for Kate as well. And she's like, man, Kathy is such a hard worker. And I think that example of Kathy, what's amazing is, uh, all the girls who are really, who are good girls all really like admire her. And then there's a bunch of girls that don't like her. And that's more a reflection on them and their parents than it is on Kathy. So I think for my son. Um, you know, having other individuals around, you know, cause it's kind of like, uh, he, he's a little young for it, but like, you know, out there coaching, seeing this other stuff, like having people mentor him and, um, you know, realizing that you can say everything you want to your kids and they might not hear you all of a sudden, like somebody they respect who's not, you gives them that information and it becomes life-changing. Um, you know, I learned from my parents through example, um, you know, we were, you know, I think we were talking a little bit um, um, with uh, um, Ronda Rousey's mom about, you know, me going to martial arts when I was little and like the way, you know, like the expectation for that. Uh, I was six years old and I still remember it. I can still remember the sound of like that dude, Starch when he did all of his moves. It's the same thing when I went out to Mid South, when I uh, did that shooting school with the guys from NSW, and all of a sudden the instructors got up and the, the ease, the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns in terms of using that weapon and putting it on target. And as smooth as they were in terms of like drawing this and this and the transitions and how they moved, uh, it was that same precision that I saw when I was six years old from that, uh, from that old Japanese martial artist. And like, I think I have forever observed Like, and I think that that this is what's so interesting about power athlete and more importantly, our definition of athleticism and what we've been teaching. And I've said it, it was like a splinter in my mind. It's been like this for like, like, this is just the evolution of all of these years of thinking of being like, why? And finally having a definition and putting it out there within a training program and allowing people to mature through it and understanding the pieces. But it really came all those years ago. I can still in my mind as I sit here and I get goosebumps thinking about it, listening to that guy's crisp starch gi you know, and the fluid and the move in the way as seamless and effortlessly as he moved through space same thing when i went out to mid-south and watching those guys shoot same thing and i've seen it before in other ways you know whether it be martial arts whether it be in boxing whether it be in this i mean everything it's what i strive for within football and that was you know you go back to Mushioshi's book of five rings and bushido same deal that dedication to perfection you know think about uh tom cruise's samurai movie last samurai yeah when he's like So you're telling me savages that have had a singular dedication for over a thousand years, which is warfare. They're going to, they're savages, right? Like he makes that comment, you know, they're savages. Yeah. He's like, they've had a singular mindset. They've dedicated their their entire lives for a thousand years to the singular task of warfare. They're going to be pretty good at it. And they were, you know, I mean, those dudes are right shooting arrows from back of horses. I mean, just Mm -hmm. like their dedication and expertise is something to behold. And I think that like, where we've talked about like athleticism is symmetry and beauty. And when you see it, you know it, whereas it's something unexplainable. You know, you turn on the Olympics, you see somebody move, they move in such a way that's so pleasing to the eye that you think, shit, that's really nice. It's really athletic. It's amazing. I mean, we see the clips all the time on uh, Instagram now. So, um, I don't mean to divert, but that idea of mentorship, sorry, I ran down a little rabbit hole, but, uh, That idea of mentorship is so important. Um, But then there's another weird problem with that. There's a lot of fucking perverts and weirdos in the world. And your job as a parent is to protect yourself or to protect your children and those around you from weirdos and perverts. And like, uh, you know, all of a sudden you get like, you know, hey, well, they're going to go to a church function. And you know what? Like the Catholic Church has not been good about protecting children. Um, Look at the Boy Scouts. Look at all these organizations. So like there's a really interesting piece with like, Allowing other people to mentor your children, which also in today's age as a parent is a little bit different. Like, like, uh, when we were kids, shit, I mean, we'd jump 20 kids in a car, there'd be no seatbelts, and like, you know, we'd roll places. Now it's a, we just live in not, to, and I hate when people say we live in a different time, but fucking we do live in a different time. Um, but or are we just more cognizant of it? Or is this. But, you know, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, kids get kidnapped and kids get hurt. And there's a lot of weird shit, like just talking about um, the sexual abuse aspect of it. I mean, the amount of girls and maybe these statistics have always been this way. But now there's more front and center that have had something happen to them. And the amount of boys that have had something. I mean, shit, we got Rudy Reyes on the podcast, you know, talking about this. I mean, you know, to the point where, you know, I mean, on that podcast um, and and it goes out saying we love Rudy. Like, Rudy is, like, I mean, anywhere in the world, if he called us, like, we'd fucking be there for him, and so would a lot of other of our friends. And uh, I respect that guy so much, and he's such a beautiful soul, and, his, and his, uh, his wife Jade, same thing. But, I mean, to hear that, you know, at an age when he needed to be protected, somebody wasn't there, and he had to be the protector against that shit. Like, like what that the visceral response that that does in me for him, it makes me angry and mad and fucking want blood but also give him a hug and be like, Hey man, like the goodwill hunting, this is not your fault. And I'm so proud of who you've become, but also um, that I cannot would, would never one. I'll never leave my children. Well,
1: that's right. Like
0: like you don't leave your children behind, you know, with with divorce and all that thing is weird where all of a sudden parents leave. Like I'm not leaving my kids and on top of it, it's our job to be the protector they need because you know what? At this age, something bad happens Fucking hard to, to peel back on that.
1: Well, the aim is to include yourself and to reference that you're helping out the girls coaching basketball, uh, Cash's football. So you're including yourself in this. We're so at everything. It, exactly. And at the same time, like you aimed, and bring this back to, to Bob Wellborn, you aimed to include him in your accomplishments. Cal games, he never missed a game, yeah. professional games. The uh, my dad for including him in college games, flying him out to attend. And then now my team travels to Houston. He's there to watch the games where lacrosse is not known to him, but now he's invested in, sure. in understanding the sport. And then we on the phone can talk about the, you know, the communication challenges and present the problems that I now face as a leader and mentor. Sure, How can I be- best handle this? So, you know. Cause, they're, they're, yeah, I had conflicts with coaches growing up. I don't want that to remain and negatively affect my athlete's experience.
0: There was a weird transition. Um, I was thinking about this with my dad. Uh, there was a really just like, and I remember like it. It wasn't anything definitive. It just kind of evolved where my dad stopped giving me advice and just started listening and laughing and enjoying what I was telling him. I'll have to think about that. I and, feel uh, um, so. Attempt. So there was like a, a weird transition. And where like, you know, my dad, I'd call up, we'd talk about something and he'd give me like constructive feedback. We talk about this and this, and it was kind of like a interesting conversation. And then it just kind of like morphed into like him listening to my stories and just kind of laughing and being entertained or us just giggling and laughing. And there's a great picture when Cash is born, my dad holding him and, I'm, and he's like laughing hysterically about something. I, f- I forgot he cracked a joke. He made something, but like, there wasn't like a moment of like, you know, now you have a son and this. And we was just.
1: Cats, <laughs> the cats in the cradle.
0: Yeah. Like, let's just laugh and have a good time and be who we were. And uh, uh, there was a it was a weird transition where you kind of like maybe my dad felt like, dude, my kids are growing up. Not that they're growing up, but like they've morphed into somebody who I want to be friends with. And, um, you know, you, you, you take this different position of like a father, a mentor, a leader, a teacher a coach, um, you know, a sensei, I mean whatever it is. And then you get into this thing where you're like, shit, my kids are able-bodied men that have fathered children, you know, um, you know, uh lived and did, you know, built this, done that, you know, have have a skill set I don't have. I mean, they're the type of people where, you know, if my car broke down in East LA and I had to make one phone call, I know they're gonna fucking be there like the mom on fire with fucking, you know, guns blazing, uh, to come fix my tire. So, um, or my car breaks down, th- these are the kids that are gonna get out and push every time. So that was an interesting realization. And I, it was funny. I talked to my brother about it. And my brother's like, you know, it was weird. Like when I was a young attorney, dad used to give me, i call him up and he'd give me some of this. And he goes, then at some point, we just started kind of talking like old friends, comparing notes on cases. And he's like, I don't know when that, when that happened. I said, is it uh, better or worse? And he's like, neither. It's just the evolution of time. When you realize that, you know, your kids have grown and they've become the men that you've always imagined them. He's like, can you imagine feeling like you didn't do the job you needed? He's like, that's a, that's an interesting realization. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people like the pain of regret and the whole deal. If only I'd done this. And, um,
1: you know, I, I got one quote I, I know you're going to enjoy on that note. The most dangerous, this is again, John Eldridge team. The most dangerous man on earth is the man who has reckoned with his own death. All men die few men ever really live.
0: That is the William Wallace quote. All men, uh, what is it? All men die, but not all men truly live. You know, it's the same deal. Um, you know, do you want to be an old man warm in your bed with taking your last breath? Or do you want to be out here knowing that you died on this for freedom? I mean, that's a William Wallace quote, but there is a very real, you know, time in your life, you know, where you feel that like you've slayed dragons, you've done what you've needed to do. And you've effectively amassed the experience and the honor to bestow that information on your children or those around you in terms of mentorship. So um, I think my advice for anybody who's a father or, you know, thinking of being a father is experience is by far the greatest teacher. So if you want to have a wide uh, you know breadth of experience and just incredible options to be able to paint, some really fun pictures for your kids to be able to lead them on this journey, go out and push your own envelope, right? Extend your margin and try to have as many experiences so that you become the person that, you know what, that your child needs when they call. I mean, and and I'm sure like, you know, text one day, hopefully you're going to be a father and, you know, it's going to be interesting because you're going to have a, um, you know, cast of characters to reach out to, to ask them. And if, you know, and if uh, to this day, if my kids ask me about something, either I know about it or I have one phone call for it.
1: I have one final quote for you, John. Lay it on me. The true test of a man, the beginning of his redemption actually starts when he can no longer rely on what he's used all of his life. The real journey begins when the false self fails, meaning you fail at the margins of your experience and must seek out more.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I think
1: that there's a weird connotation
0: and I've, I've seen this for years on our programs whenever I've always asked people, I hear these questions and I've, and I've always asked them be like, Hey, are you new? And they instantly take offense. I've, you know, and they get all fucking mad. And, uh, it's this like weird where I'm like, I'm not trying to offend you. New isn't bad. It just means that you're new. So I know how to, if you've never been around here or this training is new to you, it's a different set of somebody that's been around for a while. So like it's, it's perspective. It's, uh, uh, it's, you know, there's context to everything. And people take offense. And
1: if somebody goes, "Are you new?" Brand fucking new. Like they just know. started a seven day free trial. Yeah. On PowerAthleteHQ.com slash I'm, training.
0: Yeah. And I am like, "Hey, or have you done this before?" You knew. It. And they get and they they take offense, right? There is people that are just hearing about mm-hmm. power, power Athlete. Uh, you know, I mean, I can't believe there's anybody in the world that doesn't know Power Athlete. Um, but you know, there is people walking in. There is people that are just learning about Mount Everest and that people climb it. I mean, these like, like the world has never been in this. And there is this constant renewable stream. And so I think. If you want to be a good mentor and a good coach and a good father, drink from the fire hose, choke yourself on life's experiences, go out and fucking find them. Like Eldridge says, you know, fight the wars, fight the battles, be the knight in shining armor right over the hill. Um, You know, and that was what, uh, you know, having, you know, Bob Sapp and and also uh, Colin O'Brien or Brady on, you know, listening to their experiences as unconventional and something that i had never really thought about. I mean, I never dreamed of walking across Antarctica. All of a sudden, I hear him say it, and I'm like, fuck. I would have loved to have done that. Who's to say I couldn't do it now? But then I'm thinking, like, I'm like in my head, like, part of my questions 60 was days. my own planning on it. I'm like, what was the food like? How many calories would I need? He, he was way smaller than me. He needs seven. I'd probably need, like, 14. It was just like, and then I was thinking for all those people that are like, oh, I can't lose weight. I'm like, you know what you need to do? Drag do a sled across. across you just need to drag a sled across Antarctica eating Colin Bars, and you'll fucking, uh, your watch will fall off. So, Colin Bars. Colin Bars. That's what he called them. <laughs> Um, amazing dude I, I I am my goal is to get him in Power Athlete Radio in this podcast room and have an amazing conversation take him out and get him some beers and we'll go eat some food with him um, but yeah I reached out to him on social same thing with Bob Sapp taking the kids over there and seeing Bob in all Thailand.
1: future episodes of Power Athlete Radio yeah. so let's get some action feedback subscribe to the podcast give us a rating and review if you've taken anything from this episode leave us a five stars in return that's all we ask and if you have more questions or thoughts or concerns, uh, you can always reach
0: out on the, pot, on the uh, hotline 929-464-464. Zero. 929-ing-ing-zero. And uh, if you want to shoot me an email, if you've been inspired or you want to rap any more about this, you can shoot me an email. Just send it to john at wad wad.com or raven at Power Athlete HQ. All those will filter back to
1: me. And if you're looking to be the example within your family and get started with your fitness training, nutrition, head to powerathleteHQ.com. We got seven day free trial of all of our training programs and I mean, moose and dirt get yeah. started today. All the old John Wellbornisms. isms. And um, if you want to get into the block one, uh, you,
0: you want to learn the methodology and get into our inner circle, go to academy.powerathleteHQ.com. Check out the methodology in the block one and really just you can come out here and train with us and, See if you got what it takes. But, and um,
1: join an excellent company of men using Eldridge and women. And women. I know yeah. I'm just quoting Eldridge, but no, yeah.
0: it's um. But yeah, hey, dude, thanks Go for ahead. having me. Um, <laughs> it's no, no, dude. I, I I don't say it lightly. I feel like a lot of times in the podcast, um, you know, sometimes we get a little on autopilot. Um, you know, uh, having Colin and, and uh, you know Bob on recently and doing some of that stuff really just inspired me. And then also uh, to hit me with these questions and the fact that you did me uh, an extreme honor by actually going back and rereading one of my favorite books and pulling questions out. Um, kudos to you, man. Good work. And uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you for allowing me to waste some time with you today.
1: Time well spent. What, what's that quote? It's never time wasted. I don't know. There
0: uh, all we have or it's to It's Henry Rollins. There is no spare time. There is no free time. There is no extra time. All we got is time. And the the clock is ticking. I'll tell you, though, you know, my favorite Henry Rollins quote is, and I keep it on my phone, which I think is hilarious. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this one, but it's like, uh, go without a coat when it's cold. Find out what cold is. Go hungry. Keep your existence lean. Wear away the fat. Get down to the lean tissue and see what it's all about. The only time you define your character is when you go without... In terms of hardship you find out what you're made of and what you're capable of uh if you've never tested you'll never define your character so kind of a cool quote yeah
1: i was thinking of
0: 200 pounds is always 200 pounds
1: no time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time mm. no All right. Bye. right. now it's time for you to empower your performance a very happy father's day to all the dads out there And stay tuned to next week when we're going to be speaking with fighter Bob Sapp. Until next time, uh, bye!